0: Actually here's a here's a question for you. What do you call the little stringy bits on a banana?
1: What do you call the little stringy bits on a banana?
0: I have absolutely no idea but I'm going to find out. I just saw you peeling them off <laughs> one by one and I thought I need to find that out. That's my my if you just joined assignment us, for the day.
1: You'll see what a delightful pair we are. This is Giles brand and this is Susie Dent and I've just been eating a banana and Susie is going to find out what the little stringy bits in a banana are called.
0: Okay, there's annoying banana strings. I'm told are called phloem. P. I'm not sure if this is how you pronounce it. P. H. L. O. E. M. Phloem. Phloem. Otherwise known as musafibre. fiber, and it's musa um, fiber. Their job is to distribute nutrients up and down the banana as it grows. Apparently, I'm just reading this straight from the web. Its root is from the Greek word for bark. Isn't that lovely? I didn't
1: know that. That's the point of this particular podcast. Welcome to it. This is called Something Rhymes with Purple. It's about the power of words and language. We're a pair of Verbivores. We're wordaholics. Uh, Susie Dent is my companion. She's my guru, my leader. She is the lady that you may have seen over the last few decades sitting in Dictionary Corner on Countdown and on uh, Eight Out of Ten Cats Does Countdown. She's a world authority on words and language. She's taught in America, researched in America. She's currently touring the United Kingdom with an amazing show called The Word Detective.
0: Secret Lives of Words. The Secret. I'd lives love of to words. call it the Word Detective, and then have a business card with a deerstalker on it.
1: Yeah, and you are the next one. <laughs> you are the Word Detective, and I'm I'm Giles Brown. I'm just a word enthusiast, and I was feeling this is such a lovely podcast. We've had such wonderful feedback from people that we're quids in, and I thought, oh, quids in, maybe that should be our theme today. Let's talk about money.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Quid, quids in. Is that something to do with money?
0: Uh, well, yes. And quid itself is uh, one of our oldest, oldest uh, words and denominations and slang terms for money. It uh, means a pound, obviously, and it comes from the Latin quid, meaning what, with what you need being the kind of, or you need being the unspoken add-on. What do you need in order to survive? Is quid.
1: money quid. Yes. And is there a whole language around the world of money? I mean, money, they say, makes the world go round. We all need money, though interestingly Freud, Sigmund Freud, the great uh, father of psychoanalysts, he tells us that money is not a fundamental need. We need all sorts of things. We need food, we need comfort, we need love. We don't essentially need money. So some people are driven... How's
0: your banana? It's fine. I think we need a certain amount.
1: We certainly need a minimum amount to get by. Yes, uh, but that's to do but with it... needing warmth and comfort and security. Yes. That we're, we're not driven by a need for money of itself. Do you come from a moneyed family?
0: Uh, no, um, I don't actually. Um, I no, my my um, grandparents were uh, they had very simple lives. My grandfather was a butcher, which is. Quite strange for me as a uh, as a vegetarian but um, no I definitely don't come from a moneyed family and my dad worked very 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 hard to um, make what he could but no I I think your family may be a little, little bit well a lot wealthier than mine
1: well my family has been a roller coaster family okay I, I have very poor members of my family and I've had very rich members of my family indeed one of my forebears was one of the richest people in the world. Wow. Oh, really the one that patented
0: something. the magic pills?
1: This is the man. My great, 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 great grandfather left Liverpool in the early 1830s, went to America, changed his name, called himself Dr. Benjamin Brandreth. He was no more of a doctor than I am.
0: Was he a Brandreth, though?
1: He wasn't even a Brandreth. Oh. He was a Holmes, interestingly. Oh. But his mother was a Brandreth and his uh, grandfather had made a medicine uh, and he took the recipe, a little vegetable pill. He took the recipe for this medicine to America and he began manufacturing Brandreth's pills as cure whatever problem you He's had. He was a quack. He was a quack. He was a pioneering quack, except that they were like a homeopathic remedy. They were a vegetable pills. They didn't do any harm. Whatever, you know. Oh, okay. Pacebo. Heart disease, take a Brandreth's pill. Or want a placebo. baby? Take a Brandreth's pill. Don't want a baby? Take two Brandreth's pills. And people really said that they worked. And he became literally one of the wealthiest people in America. He became a friend of Gordon Bennett, Mm -hmm. who is somebody who is a bit of an eponymist because Gordon Bennett is a kind of exclamation, isn't it? Yes. And Gordon Bennett was the editor of a New York newspaper.
0: He was a playboy as well.
1: Was he? Lots
0: of yachts, fast cars, women.
1: And a great friend of my great-great-great-grandfather. Yeah. Gordon, and Gordon Bennett basically made his fortune in the the New York Post, or whatever his newspaper was, because my great-great-great-grandfather um, pioneered... Actually,
0: I don't think they had fast cars then. Correction. No.
1: Fast well, vehicles. Fast vehicles. <laughs> All strong carriages. But the <laughs> point is, my great-great-great-grandfather spent a lot of money advertising these Brandreth spills, made helped make Gordon Bennett his fortune, was much admired by P.T. Barnum, who oh, wrote yeah. a, a chapter in his book uh, about... Confidence tricksters, about the genius of my great-great-great-great-grandfather. And when he died, he was one of the richest people in America and therefore in the world. Good grief. He had about 16 children. This is the point of the story.
0: Okay, Um, and they were all very wealthy, no?
1: They were initially all very wealthy. Some of them married incredibly well. One of them, uh, one of his grandsons-in-law, became America's first billionaire, founded the Texaco Oil Company. In the nineteen thirties. Others didn't do so well, such as my great-grandfather, who came back to Britain to run the English end of the company, who I'm afraid went through all the money, Uh spent lavishly, was a good Christian soul, founded a lot of built a lot of churches, and so that by the time he got round to my father and grandfather, there was no money left at all. Uh So a hundred years ago. We were a hugely rich family, and now we have nothing.
0: I don't know. Well, you have something. I have been to your house. It's a lovely, lovely house. It's not not all bad. No, no, it's
1: not all bad, but but the point is I've not inherited anything. No. Whatever I've got, I have earned, and I think I I like earning money, I suppose. Um, I mean, in fact, people say to me, why are you still working at your age? And I say, I need the money. I've discovered over the years that money is the one thing keeping me in touch with my children. (laughs) So tell us about the language of money, please.
0: Wow. Um, There are so many. I'll start with money itself. Uh, Now, this is quite interesting. It's quite a a lesson, really, for us all. So money goes back to um, the the Latin and the Roman uh, moneta. Originally the name of a goddess, um, in whose temple in Rome money was coined, Moneta also gave us uh, mint, of course, as well as money. And who was Mon- Moneta? Was a person? She was a goddess, so she's associated quite often with Juno, if you know your mythology. Um, and it is. I know thought- Juno.
1: Juno-esque are still large people. Described as being Juno esque.
0: Well, that's they? very true. That's very true. But yes, yeah, so she, so, but one of her names, I think she had many, was Moneta.
1: Moneta. And that's M-O-N-E-T-A. where we get,
0: yeah, that's where we get money from. But interestingly, if you go back, we think that Moneta itself goes back to the Latin monere, which meant to warn, which means that money and warning are linked, they're siblings.
1: Money and warning.
0: Well, not warning itself, but money and the original Latin root. It's all about warning people, perhaps about the evils of money. But I would just say that if you look at all the slang terms for money, uh, I mean, it's vast. What people always say about slang is that its waterfront is narrow, but it's very, very deep. And slang, together with sex and drugs, um, you know, it's one of the major themes uh, that you will find in slang. And there are so many. You just dig for slang terms and you find literally hundreds. So, uh, dosh. Dosh Perhaps one the, of the origin most, of DOSH? One of the most recent additions to the money lexicon. Uh, DOSH, it may be a blend of dollars and cash, but actually we think it's most likely to come from DOS, a place to sleep if you're DOSing somewhere. Um, hence, As in
1: DOSing down?
0: Yes, hence you need somewhere. You need some DOSH. You need some money. You need some DOSH in order to be able to DOS. Notes. Notes? You talk about notes. Well, um, notes um and-
1: made of notes when when did the the note come into
0: 1600s but it was short for a promissory note in other words Ah. you promised to pay a particular sum at a particular time as it says
1: on the note to this day i promised to pay the bearer
0: the sum of it it
1: is a promise that's the piece of paper is an undertaking exactly that was a promissory note and that's so it's a note
0: it's a note cash goes back even further 15th century a cash was a merchant's chest or money box and then it was transferred to the contents thereof. Um, and if you go to the denominations, so if you're talking about fivers or we've mentioned quid, etc., tenors, etc., um, sometimes those go back centuries as well.
1: Hold on. So a quid is a pound... A fiver is a pound. Is a fiver a dollar?
0: A fiver is, uh, well, five-pound note for us. Um, the dollar, oh gosh, look at the dollar. If you look at the um, uh, the slang thesaurus for the dollar, you'll find lots of green vegetables. Because, of course, after Abraham Lincoln coined the dollar, uh, it was green, and so it was known as the greenback for quite a long time. Oh, forgive me.
1: Where does the dollar come from?
0: Well, it's interesting because it was the... English name for the German Thaler, which was a large silver coin um, that was used in the German States around the 16th century. And then um, it made its way to this, I think it was the name for the piece of eight uh, or the peso, which um, was used in the British American colonies. And then it went on to become the standard unit of, here we go, gold and silver coinage of the USA. This was in 1782, uh, where Thomas Jefferson says, the unit or Spanish dollar is a known coin and the most familiar of all to the mind of the people. It is already adopted from south to north. So it had a huge journey before it came into um, into America. But it all started in the German states as the thaler
1: So that's how we get the dollar.
0: That's how we get the dollar. So it was, I think, short for Joachim's So It was the, the coin of Joachim's Tal, which was in Bohemia at the time.
1: And the reason that there's so much slang around money is because, like sex... It's fundamental. We it's all fundamental. we all need money.
0: It's a staple of life, which is why you will find so many terms for money linked to food stuff. So we talk about bread. Obviously, we talk about dough. Um, it's also the sweetener of life. So you'll, you'll hear it talked about as jam, uh, cake for some people, or biscuit. Um, so uh, how it's far quite back often does this go?
1: How far back does this go? I mean, I need I need more dough, meaning I need more money.
0: Uh, Doe as money is probably... I'm going to check this in um, for, for um, everyone listening. I Basically, I can't live without the Oxford English Dictionary. I have it on my phone. I carry it around with me in a in an online sense. Um, it's the best thing in the entire world. Um, and I'm now looking up Doe to see when it was first... It's the first record that we have to do with money. Keep talking, Giles. So it's a very long entry.
1: I find money totally uninteresting. But I'd been free of money, of thinking about money for some years because uh, some years ago when I became an MP, my wife saw that we were spending more than I was earning because I was a full-time MP. And I'd been earning more when I wasn't an MP and suddenly became an MP. And I think when I became an MP, MPs were paid something like £37,000 a year. And um, we found we were running out of money. And my wife said to me, we are – you are steering – the ship of state that is the brand the family and finances towards the rocks. Oh, dear. You turnip. And she said, I'm going to have to do something about this. So my wife literally took from me our checkbook. We had a checkbook in those days, the credit cards and everything, confiscated them and took over the family finances.
0: Good for Michelle.
1: And from that day in the early 1990s to this, I have had nothing to do with the family finance. And she has sorted out everything. This has freed me up incredibly. I don't know, literally, I don't know how much I earn. I do lots of, you know, I, I'm busy all the time. So I know I'm earning money. And it goes into her account. Uh, she sorts it. She pays the VAT. She pays the tax. And she pays all the bills. And so I'm a totally free person. Mm, it, which is lovely. It's and quite she, liberating. It's liberating. The only thing, the only downside is that I can't give her a present. Without her knowing exactly how much it's cost, I literally can't. Yeah. because she gives me—I have a little bit of cash, which she gives me, you know, a, a tenner, uh, and I do have a, a credit card for emergency use, but it's her credit card.
0: Good grief! Yeah, exactly. you're a kept
1: man. So I'm totally a kept person, but it is incredibly liberating.
0: Mm. It's interesting that you carry cash. I do not carry cash at all. So in the lexicon of money, the only really new, new terms that we've got, because most of them, as I say, go back centuries, uh, are to do with contactless. So, you know, contactless itself, swiping, uh, if you still swipe. But I never have cash on me. Where does cash come from as a word? Uh, The French for a money box. Uh, 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 16th century. cachet or something? It was caisse. Cash, as in cash,
1: don't La cash. And then it was is cash becomes cash.
0: Dough. So you asked me about where? Yeah, Dough is first recorded in the OED from 1848, an addiction of Americanisms, where it also gives you tin, kelter, dimes, and rocks. Uh, but do has obviously definitely survived and then crept into um, to British English soon thereafter. We're
1: in the money. <laughs> so I'm going to stop
0: you singing. It's time for a break. Thank God. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet
1: Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke. No.
0: Does money interest you? Um, I wouldn't say it interests me. Uh, I think one of the key things, really, for all of us, is that the the real language, not the slang, but the sort of the standard language, if you like, of the financial world, is so alienating, isn't it? Um, do you remember all that talk during the credit crunch of deleveraging? Do you remember all of that? It didn't. It meant nothing. It meant nothing to me. any of us. And no. also,
1: what was that thing that they did where they poured more money into it to make more, more money into the system? Oh yes. What was that called? We can't can't even remember. remember. We were so out of it, we didn't even know what it was about.
0: Which I think is why we come up with so many slang terms, because that makes it sound more manageable, we feel more confident, less uncomfortable. because These hedge fund
1: people I think are just into, it sounds like gambling to me, it looks like gambling to me, but they they dress it up in these terms like hedge fund and somehow... Again,
0: it's tribal uh, and some of it I'm sure is very useful shorthand within the tribe, but for most of us when actually it's quite important that we do understand what's going on with our government and our finances for most of it's, as I say, utterly um, alienating and a lot needs to be done.
1: When I went to university, I went to do politics, philosophy and economics Oxford. And the first year was economics. And I thought, this is impossible. I don't understand this. And so I gave it up, which is, of course, why I ended up when I was an MP at the Treasury. <laughs> I knew nothing about what was <laughs> going on. That makes sense. You don't oh, really speaking of the to.
0: Treasury, I'll give you a nice word origin. Mm-hmm. Exchequer. Yes. Okay. Do you know where that comes from? No. Okay. It goes back centuries again um, to the checked tablecloths used by the royal accountants who would count the king's money... Uh, with counters and they would move these counters from one cheque to another on this tablecloth and they were known as the keepers of the exchequer the keepers of the cheque tablecloth and eventually that meant the keeper of the money in every way
1: i wish i'd lovely? known that mm. because i worked at the exchequer did you well i be- i became eventually when i was in government lord commissioner of the Treasury. Wow. the Lord Commissioner of the Treasury is the person who signs the government checks. This
0: is very ironic, given that actually you don't hopeless. manage any of the money in your household.
1: If, I, I don't manage. I, I, can't, I can't be trusted. Um, my results at, at GCSE for maths were appalling. I abandoned Economics at University. My wife confiscated the cheque. Who promise, appointed you? But I was appointed by the then Prime Minister... Um, who was John Major, and I worked for Kenneth Clarke when he was the Chancellor of the Exchequer. And I was the Lord Commissioner. And the job of the Lord Commissioner is to sign the government checks. The last check I signed was for £136 billion. Serious money in those days. And they said, with these huge multi-billion pound checks, you can't sign the check alone. There has to be a co-signatory. I said, who will that be? They said it would be the head of the Treasury. Mm. It's H.M. Treasury. The head of the Treasury is the Queen. So I would go along to Buckingham Palace with the government checkbook to sign these huge checks with Her Majesty. The first time we did this, I wasn't sure which of us should sign the check.
0: Who should check the check? Or going back to this we'll checks it first. on the tablecloth. Exactly.
1: And, and I felt I couldn't patronise the Queen just because she's a woman, or say, you know, after you. I, indeed, I didn't want to pull rank on her either because I was the elected one. Anyway, she was holding <laughs> the pen. She seemed to think she should sign first. But the last time we did this, When we signed this cheque for £136 billion, social security payments first quarter, I said to the Queen, you know, Your Majesty, the way the government insists on the two of us signing these huge cheques. I can't help wondering, Your Majesty, which of the two of us it is the government doesn't entirely trust. (laughs) She had no answer to that. Did she laugh? She, well, sort of. (laughs) It wasn't a big belly laugh, I have to confess. It wasn't a buffalo. No, but you're right. The world of finance is a closed world to me. And they, yes. And it's done deliberately, you were saying. It's
0: I think it is. It is deliberately obfuscating uh, so that it creates this linguistic gap and we don't really understand what's, what's going on, as I say, and I think that's why we love a bit of banter when it comes to money. So I'm going to give you some Cockney rhyming slang here. Oh, good. Okay. Um, what is a cock and hen?
1: A cock and hen, it's through with money.
0: Yes. Cock
1: and hen... Is it ten, a tenner? Half of ten. Cock and ten is half of ten. Yeah, it's, it's a, fiver. a fiver.
0: It's a fiver. Oh, Likewise, jacks. Jack's alive, five, or Jackson five, perhaps. Five.
1: Jack's alive, five.
0: Okay. Uh, an Ayrton.
1: An Ayrton. Ayrton Senna, it's a tenner.
0: Very, very I good. I guess that one. Very good. All right, this one is almost impossible to work out. Uh, and if you can, I will be so impressed. A Commodore.
1: A Commodore. Is it to do with an eagle? A bird? No,
0: no, that's a a really good guess. No, it's to do with the the band called the Commodores. Oh, the
1: Commodores, I've heard of them. What's
0: their most famous song? Any idea? I don't know. All right, let's get back to the beginning. So, the cottony rhyming slang for a fiver was once a lady Godiva, shortened to lady. The group, the Commodores, probably best known for their song Three Times a Lady. Do you remember that one? Three
1: Times a Lady, so it's 15 quid. Once twice, three
0: times a lady. It is 15 quid. Isn't that clever? And that is very clever. I love that, a Commodore. Uh, Pavarotti?
1: Pavarotti. Feeling grotty. No, I it was actually, What's a Pavarotti. again, Pavarotti
0: was one of the tenors, the three tenors. Of course it's he was, it's
1: absolutely. And, um, and, you know, and people, Archer. People, Did you know
0: Geoffrey Archer in your time?
1: I, I know Geoffrey Archer. Geoffrey Archer is a friend of mine. But finishing okay. on Pavarotti, oh, yes. those, those big tenors, you know, not necessarily them, not necessarily Pavarotti himself, but I worked at the Opera House once and there was... A tenor who wouldn't be paid, I mean, wouldn't sing until he was paid in cash, in the wings before the performance. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to try that. Next and he one. was actually stuffing the money, this is true, into his padded outfit, into his tights. They paid him the maluka. Oh, that's a good slang word, isn't it? Maluka? Mm. Filthy maluka. Filthy luca?
0: Filthy luca is from the Bible, whereas mullah is from British troops that came back from Egypt, from an Arabic word. So they you get them come together. I've never heard of Maluka. I think you've just invented that. <laughs> I don't
1: know about it. <laughs> But I like Filthy it. Filthy Luca is money from the Bible, is it? Yes.
0: Well, Luca was first used for money in the 14th century uh, translation of the Bible. and Then Filthy Luca came a little bit later. Um, it's a dishonourable gain, really, isn't it? And it goes back to, I was surprised by this, um, the old high German lawn, meaning wages or reward. I thought it had something to do with Latin, but I was wrong there. Do you give your children pocket money? Uh, I do. And Well, my eldest is, is kind of she's sort of earning herself now a little bit in a holiday job, but my and how much do they youngest, expect nowadays? I mean a fiver, really. Oh. I think. Well, not the oldest. The oldest is earning a lot more for herself, but um, yeah, I think the, my youngest I give a fiver a week. When I was so little, that stingy or not?
1: When I was a little boy, I used to get a penny a day. A
0: penny a day. A penny a oh. day.
1: That was five pence in the week. But this is the old money Okay. when it was pounds, shillings, and pence. Yes. And a penny a day was enough for me to get uh, a, a little chocolate bar or a penny chew. A penny chew. And you could buy a double-sized gobstopper.
0: Gobstoppers. Go- gobstopper. Oh, love gobstoppers! You can still buy
1: gobstoppers. And there were in my day there were halfpennies, farthings. Pounds, shillings, and pence. I love that. So, where where did um, pounds and shillings and pence? I know where they went to. They went in the nineteen sixties, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. But where were shillings? What were they named after? Okay, That's so German again, isn't it?
0: Shilling is um, oh, they're all so old. Um, Shilling was first applied to a sovereign, um, I think, and uh, in in certainly in modern terms. But it says it's from the Norman Conquest um, originally. And uh, it's linked to a Viking word. So very, very old, I would say, shilling. Do,
1: know even... what a, do you know, Susie, what a guinea is?
0: No. Pound is quite interesting. I'll come back to that in a minute. Guinea, no, tell me. You
1: don't know what a guinea is?
0: Well, I know it's a unit of currency...
1: But that's amazing. It just shows you the difference in a generation, how quickly things well, can it says change. an
0: English gold coin, not coins since 1813, John. No. Not that old.
1: But interestingly, when I first worked for the BBC, which is, I agree, 50 years ago, you were paid in guineas. No. Yes, you this were. This is mentioned
0: in Samuel Pepys's diary. Of course old. it's mentioned.
1: <laughs> don't be ridiculous. <laughs> guineas went on, and indeed, there are races, horse races today, still called I know. the Thousand Guineas. That's true. Do you know what a guinea is? I can't believe One you don't One pound and
0: know. five pence, apparently. It
1: is a pound and a One pound one shilling, which would now be one pound and five pence, and it was coined
0: in Guinea. I'm guessing,
1: and I don't know why it's called. That's what I want. That's what I'm asking you. But since you never heard of it, no, you're supposed to be the people tune into this, Susie Dent, (laughs) because they think it's Susie Dent being interrupted by Giles Brandreth, and in fact, I'm meant to interrupt you because you don't know what is the origin of Guinea.
0: I think it was coined. In Guinea, but it ultimately says in the OED, origin unknown. So that just, ah. he doesn't know either. Well, there we the are. Wonderful if dictionary, the OED she,
1: doesn't know, no. if the OED doesn't know, you are excused.
0: Pound is a nice one. I'll quickly tell you that one. Yes. Pound uh, comes to the ancient Roman Libra, of course. You remember scales uh, and the star sign Libra. Uh, and and a Libra the- Pondo was uh, a Literally a, a pound in weight. So it was a very, very heavy amount of money. And LB eventually became the abbreviation. Libra and that's upon them.
1: why the pound sign, because one of my grandchildren was saying to me the other day, Grandpa, why is the pound sign this letter, Yes, this funny thing? And I said it is because a pound was Libra. Yes. That is the L for yes. Libra. Yes, I wasn't sure what the two little lines across it the are.
0: The two little lines were to show that it was an abbreviation. That's what they were doing. And Very LB, good. in terms of uh, you oh, unusual weight, weight of flour, etc. cetera, um, is Libre Pondo. Very good. Apparently, you have a lovely story to tell me about Richard Branson. No,
1: I don't have a lovely story to tell you about Richard Branson, but it is the explanation of why I'm still working at my great age. Okay. Because I had an opportunity that I didn't take up. When I was 17 and at school, I got a letter from... Richard Branson, the Richard Branson, who was then 16. And he invited me. He knew about me. We'd, we'd been corresponding. I was editing my school magazine, and he was editing his school magazine. And that's how we got in touch. And he invited me to come to his parents' flat at Hyde Park Corner. And I went and I met Richard Branson and we got on reasonably well. We were both young, we were teenagers. And he was, I was thin, he was even thinner. And he seemed to me like a a monkey because he couldn't stop moving. He was sort of running around the room all the time, almost swinging from the chandeliers. And he had long hair, this is the sort of mid-60s, early 60s. And he had this long hair and he was very thin and wiry and he was jumping all over the place and he was saying, look, we should go into business together, you and me. And he proposed that we start a company together. And that we put, we, we raised £50 each, quite a lot of money in those days. And you could you could buy a company off the shelf. It's was called buying a company off the shelf. And it would cost you £100. You'd have half the shares each. So the idea was that we would have a business together. And it would be a publishing business. And I looked at this monkey and I thought to myself, I didn't say this, you're going nowhere, mate. <gasps> you, Because he said to me, we've got to leave school. I said, we can't leave school. I said, I'm just doing my A-levels. I said, when are you doing A-levels? He said, I don't want to do A-levels. I said, you've got to do A-levels. I said, I'm going to university. He said, don't waste your time going to university. Let's get out. Let's get going. I said, Richard, you are going nowhere. I am going somewhere. I am going to university. And so Richard and I parted. And we didn't go into business together 50-50. And occasionally, as I'm disappearing down into the Hammersmith and City line on the underground, (laughs) near where I live, his rather attractive Bentley pulls up. And the electric window goes down and he raises a single finger to me and greets me for old time's sake.
0: That last bit has got to be a bit of embellishment, but I love the image. It hasn't.
1: Actually, he's sending me up. We do still know one another. (laughs) But that's happened to me more than once because I then, when I was at university, I went into business with another friend of mine called Colin Sanders. And flopped. And, well, no. Oh. Well, we went into business together. We each had 50 pounds in the same company. And we put on Sonny Lumia. Have you heard of Sonne Lumia? Yes. It's got a history lesson in the rain. Yeah. And we killed it. And there's no longer Sonne Lumia in this country. We, we did the last one. Oh, but in France. But anyway, it was a French idea, and we brought it to Britain. Anyway, he, I, I said to him, we're going nowhere with this business. We're going absolutely nowhere. He made the electric systems to make the lights go up and down and the sound. And so I gave him my 50 pounds of the company. He sold the company. For 70000000 Oh, million.
0: Oh.
1: Isn't that amazing?
0: That is really amazing. Uh, but he was I very, don't have any stories like that. He was that. very
1: nice. And when I had another business, which also went belly up, lost millions, um, and uh, he very kindly saw I was a bit low, he took me in his private aeroplane for a holiday to Venice. So that's grand.
0: Wow. Speaking of grand. Grand Canal. Speaking yes. of
1: grand, what's the origin of the word grand for a thousand?
0: Oh, grand for a thousand is simply because it's big amount of money. Not massively interesting, that one.
1: Oh, Okay. Well, what's what we always end with our three words? Susie Dent's trio. Are they going to be financially linked?
0: Uh, well, one of them is financial, but then I thought I'd, I'd give us a rest if, if our pockets are, are not feeling full of shrapnel, which is something I, I found out quite recently. We call coins loose change, of shrapnel, or at least some people do, oh, yeah. because apparently British troops used to collect shrapnel as souvenirs from the trenches and put them in their pocket and they jungled around just like coins. I learnt that quite recently. All right, the first one is something that none of us, apart from Richard Branson, are ever likely to use, but it's nice anyway. A marigold is a million pounds. Wow. Marigold. Gold, um, basically, until the 19th century, coins rather than notes were the norm. And so their colour was all important when it came to naming them. So you will find coins called gingerbread, yellow boys, canaries, goldfinch, all these slang terms for various denominations. And marigold is now used specifically for £1 million. But as I say, who's going to need that?
1: You mentioned Archer earlier, but you didn't tell me why. Oh, yes,
0: Archer. Uh, well, please please apologise to your friend, Jeffrey. but that's a reference to his libel case because it's £2,000, which is apparently... The amount that he allegedly offered as a bribe. That was the basis of the case.
1: And it became known as an archer.
0: Yes. People
1: sometimes refer to um, a Darwin. What's that? £10 note. Oh, just because, because he was ten pound yes. notes. You'll
0: find that quite often actually. Should we get to it's, it's my trio of words?
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, no, yeah, no, it's fine.
0: I've just so, looked at the time. Um, okay,
1: give me what was the first so one. So Marigold. I love Marigold for a million. For a million. Yes.
0: Um okay, this one, nothing to do with money at all. Uh but you might need one, I suppose, if you're if you're a bit hard up. And that's a cover slut. A cover slut. A cover slut. Um now I have to say that this could be quite useful in my house because i always seem to if i'm wearing something white to spill something down myself Uh, and a cover slut is something that you an item of clothing that's worn over the top of another in order to hide a stain or a tear or any other kind of blemish oh that's
1: very good that's the garment that you use to cover
0: yes absolutely i need that quite a lot um so that's a cover slut.
1: They used to say at certain restaurants that the most exciting and most expensive item on the menu is the tie because you're always spilling your food down the front.
0: Well, there you go. So my my third word is actually linked to that. Caused much hilarity on Twitter. I'll, I'll leave this to your imagination. Uh, but to gerbil, which is not spelt like the animal, is J I R B L E. Is to spill a liquid through unsteady hands. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: Uh, and again, that's that accounts for my cover slut usage.
1: Look, this is why people stay tuned for the whole of the podcast because <laughs> they may have thought, oh, God, is Giles telling another of his stories. He doesn't even know anything about words at all. They but I do know that there will be the Susie Dent trio at the end and she has introduced us today to Marigold, which is a million, a cover slut, which is what she never is because I've never seen anybody eat more daintily. But if she did spill <laughs> no, food I'm down front... No, I'm not the cover front, slut.
0: It's the clothing. That's oh, the clothing the is but the cover slut. But you can call slut. me a cover slut. I like. won't call
1: you a cover slut. <laughs> You would make a brilliant cover girl because you're so beautiful, but you are no way a cover slut. A cover slut is the garment that might well result if you gerbled. And gerbling is spilling liquid through unsteady hands. (laughs) I love that.
0: Um, if, If you love it too and have enjoyed us even just a little bit, please can you give us a review or rate us and help us spread the word.
1: Yeah, this is something rhymes with purple and it's a something else production. Produced by Paul Smith with additional production from Russell Finch, Steve Ackerman and Josh Gibbs and your friend,
0: what's he called? He's called Gulliver and I looked up on on because he at his request he asked me to look up the origin of the name Gulliver. We all know Jonathan Swift, obviously, Gulliver's Travels, but it goes back to a French word meaning glutton. You like your food.
1: We He's love our nodding. food. We love getting together. And we'll be together soon on another of these podcasts. And if you'd want to communicate with us, I'm on Twitter at GilesB1, G-Y-L-E-S-B-1. And where are you on Twitter?
0: I am on Susie <laughs> underscore Dent. Oh, I'm just going to put on a new cover slut.